Hey, you're listening to Be Your Best with Phil Haugen, where we explain the methods that help bridge the language barrier between horse and rider. Our goal with each episode is to provide you with the training philosophies that will help you to be your best every day. Hey everybody, thanks for joining me for this week's episode of Be Your Best Horsemanship. This is Phil Haugen coming to you from the bunkhouse in Weatherford, Oklahoma here at our training facility. We've had a monster week as far as things going on and I've been home for a couple weeks now from my clinic run in the spring and probably going on three weeks now finally feel like I'm starting to get some things crossed off the list and getting caught up and same thing that a lot of you you know are going through we all go through the same thing as far as time you know when we talk about time is our most valuable asset time is your most valuable asset I mean I know we're always trying to make money to pay the bills so we can live and you know blah 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 all that stuff but time is uh, time is a precious commodity. Oh, it's been fun to be home, and it feels good to be back working horses every day. And uh, to start with, I want to talk a little bit about this last weekend. A good friend of mine that we've been friends for a long time, J.D. Krause, he stopped. I think he called Thursday or Friday, said he was going to be coming through and came through Friday, I believe, stayed Friday night, headed out, no, came through Saturday, stayed the night, headed out Sunday, and we just, we got some time to talk and reminisce, and JD has been a friend of mine for, oh, 25 years, 30 years, and he went to college here when I was actually coaching at Southwestern. I coached one year when I was going to graduate school, and so JD's from Nebraska, extremely probably one of the most talented competitors as far as especially physically physical talents that are just out of this world jd was a national champion in high school won the calf open you talk about a storied career won a national championship in high school when he was here rodeoing for us I only coached that one year, and J.D. and I, it was just a great year. We went to a lot of ropings and rodeos together. We shod horses together. We practiced every morning together. It, it was just a great, great time looking back, and we had a lot of fun. Every morning, the way we'd start our practice sessions is we'd race from the roping box to the end of the arena and back, and I mean... It, I mean, it wasn't even a fair race because, number one, on my very best day, I couldn't even warm him up. And I would trip him, try to push him, and he's, and I couldn't do that even because he's bigger and stronger than me. So he's bigger, stronger, and faster. So I was at a little bit of a disadvantage. And But every morning we'd race, and every morning we'd try to beat each other, and then we'd, then we'd rope, and then I'd go to work, he'd go to school. Here's something else that he was really good at. He was the first guy I ever saw eat cereal out of a cake mixing bowl. So that tells you something about him right there. 
Good first guy I'd ever seen do that. So uh, add that to his resume. But then when we were here, when he was rodeoing for Southwestern Oklahoma State here in Weatherford, that year we won the national championship. Of course, he was one of the team members on the men's team, and he rode a mare of mine at the college finals. And I can't, I can't remember exactly what happened in the first round. We either got a barrier either got a barrier or had a calf get up or something. And then he smoked him in the second round, made a stud run, won the second round. We won the national championship. And then JD went on from there to uh, be one of the very few people ever to qualify for the NFR in two events. I mean, he's, he's by far one of the best timed event Cowboys I have ever seen and he could do it with his calf rope. He was a outstanding bulldogger and he could handle that team rope too. He could, he could really head those steers. So anyway, and his, after he made the finals, he went into some other business ventures and his life took a different path and he's got a family and they live in, they live in Texas now. And, uh, it was just, you know, it was one of them, you know, for about, I don't know, 10 or 15 years there, we kind of, we didn't lose touch, but we just didn't make the time to go see each other and stop. And I was so tickled that he took the time to stop and see Bridget and I, because we're so close. And it was just, you know, one of those things that made me think about time, because I'll be honest with you, in the past, there have been times where I did not take that time and I did not stop and spend some time with an old friend and, you know, and treat myself to that. And uh, I'm getting a lot better about that. But, oh, it just meant the world to us. And so, J.D., I know you listen to the podcast, so I just want to thank you. And, and uh, you know, I was talking about J.D. being one of, well, easily one of the best timed event cowboys I've ever known and ever seen. You know, other than since JD, I think the only person that I can think of that's been to the finals in two events in the timed events, you know, of course, other than Trevor, is uh, Josh Peak. And I'm talking about calf roping and bulldogging. You know, obviously, Trevor's been to the finals in multiple events, but. You know, going in the calf roping and the bulldog, and that is not easy to do. You know, it's funny. I've, I've got this. I've never even talked about this, and I really hadn't planned on talking about it today. But as you well know, once I turn the mic on, you have no idea what I'm, I might go off on a little journey talking about something else. But when you talk about multiple event guys, I have a tremendous respect for those guys because I, I was a multiple event guy, and I know when you're practicing multiple events, you know, it, it's, it takes two or three times the time that it takes to prepare for one event because each event is its own event, you know? And so when you go to practice, it takes a lot of time. And the reason I thought about that today, I was thinking about it is when I was thinking about how precious our commodity is of time. So 
multiple event guys, and this is just some trivia, best all-around hand, you know, my hero, been my hero forever is Phil Line because that guy won the average at the National Finals Rodeo in the bull riding and in the calf roping. Can you imagine winning the bull riding average and the calf roping average at the National Finals Rodeo? You know, and he could do every event. I mean, that is a hand. The second best all-around cowboy that I know of at both ends of the arena for me is Mike Uthier. And a lot of people know who Mike Uthier is, but Mike Uthier worked for me when he was 13 years old when I came back from Tucson one year with a dislocated shoulder. And he was 12 or 13 years old, and he could do anything I told him to do on a horse. And he is, that guy was freakishly talented in every event. He could do every event. All three riding events and all timed events. He could do every event, and he might beat you at all of them. Unbelievable, unbelievable talent. He didn't, he didn't end up going to the finals in a timed event. Or I'd put him right up there with Phil Line. Those guys for bo- working both ends of the arena, and then guys like JD, Trevor, Ryan Jarrett, Josh Peak, you know, those multi event guys that make the NFR like that, unbelievable feat. Unbelievable. That takes a lot of dedication, takes a lot of time. So, anyway, I just, uh, I just wanted to give JD a shout out. Thank him for coming by. It was, uh, oh, we just had a great time. Just had a great time. Great, great guy, great family. It's really fun to look back at, you know, we were laughing about where we came from and where we're at. You know, and here's here's the cool part about it. When we were talking, both of us were talking about how we can continue to grow and get better doing what we're doing. And that was the cool part about it because though we're older and probably have lost a step or six, (laughs) I sure don't want to race him now. And I think he's got a bad knee. So really, if I kicked him in that knee and then took off, I might even be able to beat him now. And if we race, don't think I won't because I've never beat him yet. And so before I die, I am going to beat him in a race. But, you know, it's it's neat to see somebody that you've known for a long time that's, that's still got that growth mindset and still working on getting better and, and and growing in a lot of different areas of their life because that's what it's all about. I mean, that is what it's all about. So anyway, that's how I wanted to start out the this episode is talking about that. Talk about some horsemanship things that are going on. Some I actually just got off the phone with a trainer in up in the Dakotas. And we talked about a horse that he has that's real reactive and struggling with it. You know, it's frustrated. And, you know, we talked a lot about 
a lot of times some of these really, really talented horses, you know, really fast, really quick footed, they're going to be reactive, you know, because speed is a flight mechanism. So a lot of times those horses are going to be reactive. And sometimes we just need to have somebody tell us you're going to need to slow down and take your time. And there is no quick fix. And the guarantee is that it's not going to happen as quick as you'd like it to. That is just the reality of dealing with some horses that are really, really talented. I've got one here that is for a really, really great family, great customers of mine up in Kansas. This sorrel gelding has been, you know, really and truly for about two or three months, this horse was just a basket case when it was tied up. You know, I can be saddled and tied up to the hitching rack and just absolutely look like it's never seen a human being. Now, he's gotten to where on when I'm on his back, he's really, really good. And he's gotten a lot better when being tied up by himself. You know, but that horse, just like I was telling this particular individual, that horse needed me to slow down and build confidence every day. This horse that I've got here in training, when I, you know, he was just mentally not very developed. And that's nothing against anything that happened to him before he came here. Nothing against anybody that handled him before then. Sometimes they're just that way. And, you know, understanding that we've all went through that, I think a lot of times helps a young trainer, you know, helps any trainer accept the fact that it's okay if things go a little slower than you want it to. You know, like I said, the guarantee is that the results probably aren't going to come as quick as we'd like them, right? Because we're just naturally impatient. Like I'm the most naturally impatient person in the world except when it comes to horses, because I've figured out that being impatient with horses only makes a bad situation worse. Now, it's really easy to do. It's really easy to get frustrated. And when we get frustrated, it's really easy to take it out on the horse or, you know, a friend or a family member or whatever. You know, that's what frustration does to us. But that does not produce results. That does not produce a positive outcome whatsoever. Now, for a moment, you know, because I look at getting after a horse, you know, in a negative way. Now, don't, and, and, and here's, I'll back up and say, don't, don't think I won't put some pressure on a horse either. I mean, I don't, I don't want to come across as this person that it's all carrots and sugar lumps and whatever they want to do is great. And I'm just along for the ride. No, that's, that's not the way it is around here. You know, when I ask for a response, I'm going to ask in a way that they understand, but I'm going to stay with it till I get the response. It's not a negotiation ever. It's not a negotiation. So I don't want you to get the idea that I've never put any pressure on a horse because I have. I've put a lot of pressure on a horse. 
but at the same time, I have to present it in a way that gives them an opportunity to find the response so that when they find the response, I can release. And when I release, that's what tells the horse that, okay, I must have found the answer. Well, when they, when they start to gain confidence that when you pick up that bridle rein, they, they have a good idea what the answer is then you start to build that confidence. Then you start to build that trust. And sometimes, like in this situation, I told this particular trainer, just go back to a really simple exercise where you can do a lot of repetitions. The ho- It's easy for the horse to find the response that you're asking for, and you get the opportunity to release, you know, numerous times repetitively and build that trust build that confidence because when you take the slack out of the bridle reins and you've heard me say this a hundred times, but when you start to move your body in a way that you're going to take the slack out of a bridle rein or both bridle reins, that, that feel that you send with your body before you ever even do anything with your bridle reins that signal has to mean something to that horse. And when that signal starts to mean something to that horse, meaning giving that horse a warning of what you're about to ask, then it becomes a trigger that creates a situation where that horse flips that switch back to the thinking side of their brain. And then that, that enables them to find that desired response. And so, you know, sometimes we think we're doing a pretty good job and it's frustrating because we think we're doing a pretty good job and, and it's not that we're not trying hard. We're trying hard. Just like in this situation, I guarantee you this guy is trying hard. But the harsh reality is, is that if that horse is insecure the whole time we're on them or a lot of the time we're on them, they're telling us you need to build some trust and confidence. And, and that's what we talked about. And then, and we talked about how to do it and, and do it in such a way that here again, we start to build that confidence and we, we start to help that, that horse gain our trust, you know, or, or not gain our trust, have trust in us, excuse me. And, you know, when that happens, then we start to relax even more because now we start to have some confidence in them. So it's just a win, win, win when you get to that point. You know, that's one of the challenges that we're all going to go through. I mean, whether it's with our horses or with our career, or with our family, or, you know, those challenges like that, dealing with a reactive mindset is going to be something that in life we're going to have to deal with, and especially with horses. I ride a lot of horses that have running blood in them, either top and bottom or one side or the other. You know, those horses are bred to run a hole in the wind. Well, what is, what is speed? What is that? That's the flight response. What's the flight response? That's a reactive response. 
That's how horses survive. They run. They run from danger. It triggers that flight response and they run. Well, we've done a great job of breeding great horses. I mean, there are so many good horses out there. It's just crazy. I mean, horses with crazy potential. Now, I'll be the first to admit there was a time, and and don't get me wrong, I don't have it all figured out now, but there was a time when I wasn't getting that potential developed to the degree that I wanted to. I was getting it developed to a point, but I wasn't getting it developed to where I do now. And I just like, you know, the, the learning just continues. I mean, we just continue to learn more and more and more about the horse and the development of the horse mentally and physically. But, you know, I know for me, and just this is here again, we talked about this just a minute ago on that phone call. Now it's all about the mental development. You know, years ago it was about physical manipulation. Now it's all about mental development, helping that horse to use their mind to think and find the responses we're asking for. Because it's so much more important now to me than it was, you know, even 20, 25 years ago. Because, you know, to be real honest, these horses, they just have, they have more ability. And I mean, there were great horses in every era. Don't get me wrong. But there's some really, really talented horses right now in this era. And developing that potential for me sometimes is 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 pretty challenging with all that speed. Now the horses are domestic and you know these horses they want to ride. They they want to ride. They don't want to be bronx. They don't want to you know they're not trying to kill you. They want to ride, but we still boy we still have to be able to control that switch that switches back from the reactive side to the thinking side so we can find that response that we're asking for. You know, and that goes back to, too, you know, we talk about, we talk about, like, along with our horsemanship, you know, we always talk about our personal development. Well, from the personal development standpoint, I have to not only look at getting my horses you know, 1% better every day using the 1% rule. But for me, I'm at that point where I'm really, really working on getting myself better every day, trying to get that 1% improvement in my feel, my timing, my balance. Because here's the thing, my, my balance I mean, and don't get me wrong, I'm not like walking around falling down or nothing, but my balance, you know, at 57 is not what it was at 27. I mean, nobody's balance gets better by putting 30 years of age on them. (laughs) I mean, that doesn't happen. You know, so now, you know, I'm working hard at doing simple things that at one time, 
were very natural for me. I mean, and like I said, I'm just talking about my balance while I'm on my horse. This week we've got to, we've had the opportunity to rope quite a bit and it's been just a ton of fun. I've got, so my son Wade and his wife Gentry, they live in one of our apartments on the south end of our place and they take care of that facility down there. And, and uh, so it's just a, I don't know, it's probably 300 yards from those bunkhouse apartments to, to the arena down here. And so they, in the mornings we've been roping and even this week, there were a couple of evenings we were able to rope, but so Wade rope heads for me, Gentry heads, Gentry rides a horse of ours called Slider and she does a great job on him. Wade's got a great mare called Grace that he heads on. And then Bridget, she's been roping calves on Roscoe, the horse that she got from Mabel Maccabee, uh, barrel horse, rope horse. And it's a, just an outstanding horse. Well, and I guess it actually come from Brody Maccabee, but uh, Mabel ran that horse in college some. And, and then I've been riding a couple of my horses. And when we're practicing and the thinking side versus the reacting side, you know, even with those horses, those are pretty nice horses, but at the same time, every practice I can see moments where one of those horses becomes a little reactive and then comes back. And, and what that tells you is, is that no matter how old your horse gets, that's always going to be there. Like the mare that I've, I've got a mare that I call Reba. That's a really cool little mare. And before I got her, that mare was, she was kind of blown up in the box. And I'm not saying she's like flipping over backwards or nothing or nothing to that degree, but she was very reactive in the box. Well, now, and I'm pretty proud of this because this taken some work. Now I can sit there with my hand down when we score and she not move a muscle. That took a long time before she could do that. You know, so the reactive responses, that's always something we're going to deal with in these horses. And even with these horses, a real solid set of horses, we still have to work on it each practice where we control that thinking side versus reacting side of their brain. Because with speed, that's everything. Because with speed... Make no doubt about it. If you don't have control of that switch and you can't control the thinking and the reacting side of that horse's mind, that body is not going to do what you want it to do. And so, you know, just like I was talking with this trainer on the phone earlier, it, now the development process is 100% for me mental the body will take care of itself, but mentally we've got to progress these horses and be able to control that thought process. So anyway, I know this, this episode, I was kind of, I had several different subjects I wanted to visit about. And I just, I hope y'all, I hope you've had a great week, you know, continue to have a great week of training. Thanks for listening. You know, thanks to thanks to all our listeners. And if you get a chance, if you would, if you'd share these episodes, we would greatly appreciate it. 
we would greatly appreciate it. God bless you. Have a great day. And as always, today and every day, be your best. Hey, thanks for joining us on today's show. To learn more about the training program that inspired the Be Your Best podcast, head over to philhavenhorsemanship.com and join our online community by following us at philhavenhorsemanship on Facebook or Instagram. This is where we're going to be sharing tons of training tips and information about how you can experience our Training Through Understanding program at one of our upcoming clinics. As you go through the day today, I want to encourage you to figure out one thing you can do to get 1% better whether that is in your horsemanship journey, your career, or your personal life. Own it and be your best. God bless and have a great day of training.